Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, it's time for... Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Welcome to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. I popped my pee. I'm sorry. It's not as bad as the uh, sibilant S's. I'm Mike Sweeney. And I'm a writer <laughs> on the Conan Show on TBS. I'm Jesse Gaskell. I'm also a writer on the Conan Show. Cool. Wow, you must get stopped a lot on the street. <laughs> and welcome back to Inside Conan. We have a great show for you today. We do. Our executive producer... Jeff Ross. Jeff Ross is going to be along. It's great. He talks about a kind of the Conan origin story. Late night with Conan O'Brien. Yeah, it really kind of started with him, really. It was like... It did, yeah. Conan was just a twinkle in his eye. He's had a fascinating career. I know. Crazy career before even getting to Late Night with Conan O'Brien, I think. I'm surprised he left that career for this. In the music business. Huge music icons. And then he veered into comedy. We're still writing for this show. It's yeah. You and I both have been writing for the show, in fact. Sure, you could throw me in there. I saw you send a heads up email. I did, on a bit that, you know, it got bumped. It's like, oh, we'll do this after we're back from the Christmas break. Yeah, I got one of those this week, too. Please, I was head writer. I, I know how the game's played. Uh, <laughs> do you think that those are just going to the sketch graveyard? Uh, yeah, I always assume I'm a child being told my pet has gone to live somewhere else. <laughs> We actually did have too much stuff this week, though, because it's the last week before the holidays. Yes. There were all of these pre-taped bits that were backed up for weeks, and you just have to burn them all this week. So That's often the case when we're up against a, a, uh, a break coming up. There's not enough time. Oh, yeah, the Doja Cat. That happened this week. Right. Conspiring to keep sketches off the show. In real life, Doja Cat mentions Andy Richter as a... Euphemism for the girth of a penis in the song Dick, which I don't really know what the whole song's about, but have a few guesses. <laughs> yes. So that bumped a lot of comedy off. And so it, it gets pushed over to the next day. And, and so here we are up against a break and all this great comedy. It's like you have to use it up or else it doesn't roll over to the next fiscal year. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, especially if it's holiday related. Yes. Well, let's get into our show. Yes. We've got our executive producer. Senor Jeff Ross. 
I thought of something because I know Sweeney and I have had some experiences over the years, right? And you know, and I was thinking about so what some of them were. And uh, oh, great! The first one, of course, that comes to mind is when you did that prank on me. When you remember, how I had that door. Oh yeah, never got you back for it. I don't know. It was for my birthday. There was like a bowling ball thing. Oh, there was a thing that. where Conan's office was on one end of the hall. Right. We were both on <laughs> corners. Yes. At night, when the writers got bored, and sometimes during the day, <laughs> they would bowl. Actually, I probably did it also. We would bowl down the hallway into the whatever door was there. And so my door had a lot of dents in it. But I don't know if that's the prank, Swings, was it? Well, we would bowl at the length of the building. Were there pins or you did? No, the goal was... To get it into Jeff's office at the end of the hall. Correct. And it was it was pretty long. It was like 100 feet at least. Longer than an alley. Oh, my God. It was, it was like two or three bowling alleys. Yeah. But there were these magnetic things that I have in my former office here. Right. That hold the door open. You know, you press the button. Well, what happened was it was Secret Santa. Oh, right. Right. And I got Conan's assistant, Lori, who was new. So... I was trying to think of stuff to do for her. So I got giant framed portraits of all Conan's previous assistants and hung those on her office. Oh, no. And then also... <laughs> Did she like it? <laughs> she just stared at me. No, I think she liked it. I don't know. But yes, Conan had um, one of those mechanisms too. I thought I would build something so she could close the door when she wanted privacy from Conan. Oh. So I figured out how to rewire it so that she would have a button on her desk and she could hit it and the door would close. And I crossed the wires and shorted out the motor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I had to talk like the cleaning lady or someone into opening the door to your office so I could... Elaine? No, I'm sure it was someone else. So I could steal your motor. After we get off this, I'm calling Elaine. Then I explained it to you the next day that I had to order a new motor for you. Don't be mad. But I think you were mad. I got a little mad. I think I got a little mad. Anyway, you know what I wanted to bring up? Yeah. What I wanted to bring up? Sure. I was listening to Conan's podcast with Leguizamo. John Leguizamo, right? With John Leguizamo. Crazy Legs. And they go off on the Jackie Mason thing. From the Ed Sullivan show? No, me. His imitation of me being Jackie Mason. Oh, 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 okay. I'm going to start, like, revolting against that. You worked with John Leguizamo, right? Yes, and he, we know each other. Okay. And so my name comes up, and they start both imitating me. Yeah. And, and of course, John goes, Johnny Legs, he goes, yeah, Jeff does kind of sound like that. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm literally on a plane listening to the podcast, and I'm going, <laughs> no, no, I don't sound like that. <laughs> well, listeners will decide. Yes, listeners will decide whether I sound like Jackie Mason or not, if they even know who he is. Yeah, but Conan's been doing that impression of you for uh, yes. forever and ever and ever. Yes. So your outrage is at John Leguizamo piling on. Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. He didn't earn it. Well, has, has Conan really earned it? <laughs> I, guess, I guess so. I guess he has. I guess he has. You know, true confession. We may have done an impression of you on this show, but don't worry. No one's heard it. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Someone wrote in and asked. Well, because I in the credits, I say your name, executive producer Jeff Ross. Oh, 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 oh. And I just say it like that. And and so that's become my impression of you. That's better. That's better. I'll take that one. <laughs> Sweens, do you remember the time? I, I think it was you, Sweens. We were on a plane. Yeah. Flying to New York. Yes. And you and I are sitting next to each other. Yeah. So we're on the two seats here. And on the two seats on the other aisle in front of us was Conan. 
and Giselle Bunchen. Oh yeah. And Conan winds up sitting next to Giselle Bunchen, who's been on the show, and he knows, I guess, knows her a little bit. You know, was this pre Tom Brady? Yes, he was still in high school. Conan had a chance, and it was a red eye, so it was like it was nighttime. It was like yes. ten thirty at night. Correct. Oh wow. I guess they chatted. Right. She's on the aisle. He's by the window. Remember, Swains? Yep. There was a moment where they're chatting, and then I guess they're done chatting, and the plane takes off. And then she just goes to the flatbed thing to go to sleep. They're flying from LA to New York. <laughs> After talking like five minutes, she was just like, good night. Yeah, it didn't go very far. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, her thing goes flat. So now he can look back at us because her seat's not in the way. Right. <laughs> and he just looks back at us. And as he's looking back at us, he pushes the button for this thing to recline. Right. He's staring at us as he reclines right next to her. <laughs> In super slow motion. It was really funny. It was really funny. <laughs> we were howling. We were howling. She's never fallen asleep so fast on a plane before. <laughs> she went that fast. She was in REM sleep by the time he, he was all the way back. The word perfunctory comes to mind. It was like five minute chat and like, all right, time for beauty sleep. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, that was fun. It was a good one. I guess we were still living in New York then, obviously. We were. I think so. I don't remember what that trip was for. But man, we have been doing this a long time. Yeah. Well, you especially. I didn't start till a year and a half in. I am the grand old man of this place, although you're not far behind me, Sweens. You're, you're three months older than me, which I really appreciate. That's correct. <laughs> it keeps me going sometimes. Yeah. I think there's so many cool aspects to your career long before you met Conan. I know like Jesse's dying to hear about some stories because they're only hinted at, I think, about how you were a big rock and roll band road manager. Yes. Well, I don't know how big I was. I know you're very modest about that. The truth of the matter was I went to NYU and I was the chairman of like the concert committee, you know, ah. the, the, at the Loeb Student Center at NYU. Right. And so I always wanted, I was interested in that and I wanted to do it. And I was basically after college, I was bartending for like a year or two, which is by the way, the most fun job I've ever had. Yeah. Not a shot at my current job, which I love, but that was the most fun I ever had. It was like in 1980 and uh, nothing ain't like that anymore. Right. <laughs> 1980 in New York City. Oh, man. What bar were you working at? It was called Central Falls. And it was one of like four restaurants in Soho at the time. It was before Soho was, you know, a thing. Oh, wow. So I was bartending and, and somebody said to me, you, you know, like, you know, you know how that business works. This band is looking for a tour accountant. And I'm like, what does a tour accountant do? And they said, well, you just pretty much settle with the promoters and you handle the money and carry the cash. Hmm. So I went on the road with a band called Molly Hatchet, of which nobody will know <laughs> except maybe Sweens. And I spent six months on a tour bus with Molly Hatchet traveling across the country, mostly in the middle of the country. Wow. You know, it was a lot of Jack Daniels and guns and guns all kinds of other things oh yeah they had guns it was cool. the whole thing was crazy <laughs> and other substances that people were really into in those days i didn't know shit i was like 25 just trying to figure it all out you know i'm like the jew on the bus with molly hatchet it was pretty funny oh boy i thought molly yeah. hatchet was a bible name i thought it was a, a klezmer band no okay well, no they, they were a southern rock band in the vein of leonard skinner oh and, boy uh, oh. they had a hit called flirting with disaster okay which you guys can look up at some point. You know, mm -hmm. And that's all they really had. But they did some business and whatever. And they needed, because they were all out of their minds all the time, they needed somebody to take care of the money. But anyway. Keep them alive. <laughs> basically, after that ended, ACDC was looking for a tour account. All right. So now I'm on the road with ACDC. And that was like multiple days and cities right. and arenas. I mean, they were right. huge. And that was fun. And then they fired their tour manager. Yeah. And they went, Jeff, you're the tour manager. And I was like, all right. So Wow. 
<laughs> I think it's it's probably more complicated now than it used to be in a way, or maybe uh, I just didn't realize it. But so that, now I was doing that for a while with them, and they were good guys, and they were great. Had you picked up what to do from working with the other guy they fired? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, it's real, it's more like logistical. Okay. I knew kind of what I was doing, or at least I made it up as I went along. Yeah. I faked it. I'm still like, I'm still faking it. <laughs> we all are. Yeah. So now I'm the tour manager, and then that tour was end, kind of coming to an end eventually. Yeah. That, but that was like a big time. No buses. Well, actually, there were buses because I think even to this day, a lot of crews. Right. That was a bus part of the time. But a lot of crews still in the, to this day. Remember Sweens who did a bus on that tour? In 2010. Yeah. So now here, Diana Ross is looking for a, a tour manager. I remember going to either Phoenix or San Diego. I, for some reason, I think it was Phoenix. And she's playing in the round of this big arena. It's like a big thing. It's like 20,000 people. And and then afterwards, like, Miss Ross, we'll see you now. And, you know, I'm like this 26-year-old maybe 25, whatever I was, kid, and I, the door opens, and I just remember the room being all white. Mm. You know what I mean? And she's wearing all white. And there's like a white love seat, and she's sitting there, <laughs> she goes, she goes, you know, she cuts on the she goes, go sit down. And I'm like, I, I think I'm like going to faint, because yeah. it's just so crazy. It's, yeah. just, it's just crazy. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> a little surreal. But, and by the way, she's great, and really fucking talented yeah. in a lot of well, ways. Yeah, and, amazing. Um, yeah. And it was always great to me and nice to me, and great and nice and generous and uh-huh. and then she always whenever I would move on in my career and I would run into her she would always like say I did it for you it was all me oh that's great <laughs> and of course I say yes and then whenever we have Tracy her daughter on you know Tracy Ella, Ross sure yeah. who I knew when she, like she was like a little girl then oh yeah and so I always she always says I always tell my mom when I see you and all that it's kind of nice she's nice she yeah well but about to the, the bus story with andy yes so there's a tour in 2010 so we're on the bus for about i don't know a week couple of weeks remember we had a bus yes, going down the east coast I do remember. right i loved on it. that tour in 2010 it was fun yeah and the one thing and i knew this from my old days on the road right the bus driver would always say when there were new people on the bus who had not been on a tour bus before Right. Nobody takes a shit on the bus. Right. <laughs> right? That's, That's the, the first thing they, they said. told us. And the reason is because those toilets, for whatever reason, maybe they're better 10 years later, can't handle <laughs> things of volume, things of that have that are not liquid. That are not liquid. <laughs> right. Anyway, something like that. I'm sleeping. Yeah. I think we were all probably sleeping on the bus. All of a sudden, <laughs> the bus stops. And I get woken up by <laughs> the bus driver screaming, who took a shit on the bus? <laughs> and I wake up and I look down and there's, <laughs> there's water on the floor throughout the entire bus. Oh, no. And so we're like, oh. And so we're, I remember we're pulled over on the side of the room and the bus driver is taking apart the toilet. You remember the Swedes? Oh. I remember it now. I, I think I slept through the... Oh. I'm such a sound sleeper. And so the bus driver... I'm just so glad I wasn't involved in it. The bus driver is taking apart the toilet. <laughs> Nobody's come forth. And all of a sudden, the bus driver goes, found it! <laughs> and now I'm like, what the fuck did he find? Yeah. And it was it was either orange or lemon rinds or peels. Oh. Andy was making drinks and throwing the peels in the toilet. Uh. <laughs> and that's what overflowed the toilet. That was not what I expected. Uh. <laughs> okay, that has a more acceptable ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, okay, so we left off with you going into television, Jeff. So I moved out to L.A. for three years in the 80s. And I did a bunch of shows. This is going to make you laugh, Sweens. I think you knew this already, but you don't remember. For Ken Ehrlich. Ken Ehrlich. The guy who I co-executive produced the Emmys with and had a lovely experience yes. doing that with him, if you remember. I remember very clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely experience. I did a bunch of shows for him. Yeah. And his shows, he didn't like spending a lot of money on his shows. So when he did a show, you had like five jobs. Right. You were like the AD and you were like the stage manager and you were the associate producer and the production manager. You had to do it. Right. It was a good education for me. And then I did, I was in LA and I did a show for, oh, Greg Sills was doing the Emmys the first time Lauren did it, or maybe the only time Lauren did it. I'm not even sure. Lauren Michaels. Okay. He was doing this big stupid show at uh, Universal <laughs> on the lot at Spartacus Square, which I don't even know is there anymore. It might be super the Superstore now. That's <laughs> where they literally shot Spartacus Square. Oh. And it was Lauren's show. Yeah. And Greg didn't have time to do it because he was doing the Emmys. So he says, can you do this? And I'm thinking, Lauren Michaels. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. of course. I heard of him. Yeah. yeah. So I did it. And I guess he and I kind of hit it off. So when that was over, that debacle, it was a bit of a debacle. But when that was over, I guess he liked me. He calls me like five months later. He says, I had this pilot got picked up by HBO. It's called The Kids in the Hall, which I had no idea what it was at the time. <laughs> and actually nobody did, except people in Toronto. And, and he says, right, can you come up and help get it started? Because it got picked up to a series at, at HBO. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure. I remember getting on a plane when it was 80 degrees here and la- in February and landing in Toronto when it's like 10 below and snowing. Oof. But I'm like, I'm only going to be there for two weeks. Right. I was living in Toronto for a year. Oh, wow. I wound up living there for a year. Yeah. And then, then Lawrence said, do you want to move back to New York? I had these other things or whatever. And so I, I, I wound up moving back to New York after a year, flying back and forth to Toronto a lot, taking care of them for like three, four years. 
And also I wound up being the guy in New York doing all the HBO, not all, but a lot of the HBO stand-up specials. Right. And then there was the Letterman's retiring and Lauren needs to find the new late night host. And Lauren says to me, I want you to produce it. And I was like, the show that's replacing David Letterman? Really? (laughs) And he goes, yeah. (laughs) And, And I'm like, okay. And I remember producing a special with someone for someone who was a possible candidate for that show. It wasn't the best experience I ever had. And usually I get along with people relatively well. And this one famously didn't. I had to come out to LA for something I was shooting. I can't remember what it was after that was over. And I met with Lauren. Lauren said, so you're going to produce a late night show, right? I said, well, it kind of depends who it is. What do you mean it depends who it is? So then we talked about who it might be. And he didn't, at that point, really had no idea who it was going to be. But everyone at the time thought, at least in stand-up circles, everyone assumed it was going to be a stand-up comic. Right. Yes. Oh, that, yeah. It was always the assumption. Yes. And then there was the famous thing where I was in L.A. and he, famous, I don't know how famous this really is, famous in my mind, <laughs> where he says, well, we're doing a showcase at the Improv tonight. Lauren said that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was a, okay. for all the possible hosts. Right. Of course, all men. Right. I think Colin Quinn was there. I I, I could go through the names. Sweeney, right. You may remember the names. I, I don't really remember who exactly was there. I think Nealon was there. I mean, it was a long time ago. And did they know that that's what this was for? Uh, oh, everyone knew. Oh, yeah. Everybody everybody knew. I think and, like John Mulroney, okay. Alan yep, Havey. Yep, yep. I think Colin, maybe. I think. Um, yeah. I don't know if John Stewart, I, but I, I'm not sure. He might have been there. Yeah. He might He might have been there. It was so long ago. But anyway, it was this. It was like, you know, it kind of been 10, 12 comics. Right. What was the name of the, of the restaurant across the street from the improv? The Mustache Cafe or something like that? That rings a bell. Something like that. Whatever, uh, uh, whatever you say, I'll say. Yes, okay. it was the it, mustache a, I don't remember. I don't, I, don't, I don't either. But there was, a, there was a place across the street where you would go, right? Okay. All right. And so we go there with all these NBC bigwigs, and we're sitting there, and I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this is, this is actually happening because it was all so surreal. And I knew at the time he had been talking to Conan about being a writer-producer on the thing or being involved somehow. About being behind the camera. Right. Yes. And had you met Conan at no, that point? No, no, okay. no, no. We had never met. We had never met. Okay. And I remember there not being any decisiveness on anyone's part on who was the candidate, who who now was going to replace David Letterman. Yeah. Based on doing five minutes at the improv. Right. It was ridiculous. That seems like it, a, a silly way to try to... Pick a host to replace Letterman. It was <laughs> I ridiculous. Say. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Allmeyer <laughs> gets frustrated and goes, everybody, uh, meet in my office tomorrow. And then Lauren turns to me and goes, can you come? And I'm like, sure, I can come. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing was so weird, so random and weird to me right. that this was even happening. It just, right. It was just so crazy. Because we all revered Letterman and watched right. it all the time. And you know how we all felt, you know, people in that generation. Yeah. And also, I mean, everyone always maybe forgets now that back then it was just the Tonight Show, Johnny Carson. That's all there was. And Letterman. Mm-hmm. That's all there was. Basically. And then. And it was a huge show business thing. Oh, yeah. Like you were saying before, like, uh, who's going to, who wants that job in a way? Because it seemed exactly. like. A, exactly. Exactly. It seemed like you're exactly. walking off the plank. Yeah. To try to follow Letterman, fill those shoes. So the next day I go to this meeting. And all these people are Rick Ludwin's there, Don Olmite. Yeah, they're all there. Right. And I remember, okay, I remember very distinctly going through each name and everybody coming up with a reason why he wouldn't work. Right. And I say he because they were, they were all guys. I don't think – I am almost positive there was not one woman in that showcase. There were no women. I'm almost positive. And Rick Ludwin, 
who we all love. Right. Who was in charge of late night at NBC. And actually is responsible for keeping Seinfeld on the air when they wanted to cancel it. Right. Famously, yes. Kept putting in tapes of Paul Provenza. Deafening silence on the other end. <laughs> no, no, no. I, uh, he's a comedian. Very funny comic. Yeah, yeah. Who actually used to open for Diana Ross. Oh. That's how I knew him. Right. And he's a nice guy. Very nice, funny guy. Was he on the showcase the night before? Uh, no, I think he couldn't get there. Got it. And so, Rick, I remember putting in tapes of Paul, watch this guy. Right. And then all of a sudden, somehow, Olmeyer gets frustrated again because there are no answers to this problem. Right. And literally, I remember something along the lines of Olmeyer saying something about Conan. Not, not that it was his idea to, for him to host it. It was Lauren who definitely said something like, maybe Conan. Right. Or how about Conan? In that meeting, he was sitting right next to me. I remember this. And I'm like, who? <laughs> and, and I knew who he was, but I'm like, Okay, and actually, Lord might have turned to me and went, how about Conan, yeah. who I've never met? And I was like, sure. Right. I don't know. I never met him. Just get me out of this meeting. <laughs> yeah, right. And then Omar goes, can we test him? And Lauren turns to me and goes, can we test him? And I go, sure. Wow. So it's, it was like a, a brokering a convention where it's deadlocked. Yeah. And he literally was. And there's a third party candidate. To Lauren's credit. Yeah. For whatever reasons, and I think we know what they are now, but Lauren, Lauren, Lauren saw the reasons. Right. He thought that it's a crazy idea, but it's a, not a bad, you know, it's, it's an idea. It's something different. It's a, it's a swing. Right. I, you know, he knows he's a smart guy. He's a funny guy. You know, I mean, he knows how funny he is. I will tell you one thing. Everybody will have a different version of this story. Yeah. In that meeting, Lauren said it. Right. That did happen. That did happen. All right. And then I remember uh, I had I, I get his number. I call Conan. He, you know, he hears from Gavin was Matt, was his agent at the time. Gavin Plone. I go. I remember I was staying at the Four Seasons Hotel in in Beverly Hills. Uh-huh. He lived near there, and he says, "Well, I'll meet you downstairs. We'll meet and we'll talk about it." And I remember him. This is a story I've actually have told, but there's like a concierge desk uh-huh. that a concierge doesn't really use. It's sort of outside the gift shop area. It's just a desk that sits there. And I go and I, you know, I know he's a tall, redheaded guy. Right. I've never met him, and I go down there, and he's sitting behind the desk, and he sort of goes, "What do you think?" <laughs> <laughs> I might have said out loud, this is so fucking crazy, you know? And then we talked about the test and who to book for it and everything. We uh-huh. And then it became clear that they were talking to Shanley. Ah. But what didn't become clear was that Shanley didn't want to do it. Right. Because he knew. He knew the grind. Guest hosted. He had guest hosted. I think, hey, I think Larry Sanders had been happening already, maybe. I'm not even sure. I don't know. We'd have to look it up. That's what I'm trying to remember. But he had, he had guest hosted for Johnny Carson. Yes. So he knew basically what the drill was. Right. So I remember one day being back in New York in my office and, you know, sometimes you get like messages from people and you go, something's wrong or something's weird or because in those days you would get messages on little slips of paper like this, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. In those days. While you were out. And so I get back and my assistant hands me this pile of messages. It's like, it's like Lauren Michaels, Don Olmeyer, this one, that one. And I'm looking at them (laughs) and I go, oh my God, he fucking got it. (gasps) Okay. So you had shot the test. Oh, yeah. We shot the test. It went well. Yeah. Right. I remember at one point during the test, you know, he had a script and he was doing really, really well with Mimi Rogers. And I remember it. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah. What to... material was he doing? Well, he was just interviewing her. Okay. But there was a script of like opening remarks and stuff. So I had sort of a, a script packet, you know. Right. And I remember on the back, I remember writing during Mimi Rogers, I just 
because there was a break between Mimi Rogers and Jason Alexander. I might have it backwards, but... They were the two test guests. They were the two test guests. We had an audience. Right. I remember writing on the back of the... I didn't even know what to say to him, but he was doing pretty well, so I just... Oh, going up in the break, yeah. In the break, yeah. I wrote on this back of the script page cover, You're Killing. Uh-huh. And I just shoved it in front of him. <laughs> and, he looked, and he looked at me, and then he looked down, and I walked away. Aww. That was the right thing to write. Yeah. And now you have to do it after every show. During every show. <laughs> That's right. You've had to do it 5,000 times since. Wait, so can I ask between like Let's Test Conan and this test happening with a live audience and these two guests, how, how long did it take between you talking to Conan on the phone and the test? I think Conan will have a more accurate answer to this, but I would say it was two, three weeks. Okay. Two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Something like that. Uh it was definitely not a week. It was longer than a week. It was at least two weeks. I think I'd prefer to have to do it the next day so you didn't have time to think about it because it just seems so intimidating. It was surreal. Right. It, just, it was just so crazy. Right. You know, how I was what, 35 at the time, I guess. I fly back to New York. I'm back in New York for like a week or two. And I go out for lunch or something. I come back and I get handed this pile of messages and I just am really reading them, looking at them. Don Olmeyer, Lauren Michaels, this one, that one. And I'm like, fuck, he got it. Oh my God. Oh boy. <laughs> and so then, so then he calls me. Conan. Because the last time I had seen him when I left LA was after the test. It was his 30th birthday. He had a party at his apartment. He invited me and I went. Yeah. Anyway, I said goodbye to him and it was sort of like, well, that was fun. That was a fun, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> Have a nice life. Hopefully our paths will cross again. Right. And then two weeks later, it's like, oh my God. Wow. And so then we got into it. Then we got into it. <gasps> yeah, that's basically, that's basically the, not the shortest version of the story, but certainly not the longest. Wow. Wow. But no, you, I mean, you worked on Conan before Conan worked on Conan. <laughs> well, Conan and I, we, we actually, we both did. I, 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 I got dragged into the selection process thing. Yeah. Yeah. But not really. I mean, I was just, I was, a, I was like an no. observer. I was like an, an innocent bystander, kind of. A non-voting delegate. For sure. I would just go, sure. Absolutely. We can do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I've learned how to, in my career, just say yes and go figure it out later. Right. Run out, start crying, and then figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so you start the show, and it's five days a week. I mean, it must have been, I'm guessing, a big adjustment from any any job you had had prior to that. Well, yeah, because we didn't, none of us knew how to do it. Right. I was friends with, Mor- with, with Robert Morton, but producer of the old Letterman show then. He was gracious and helpful and generous, but still you have to do it, you know? You have to go through it. You have to go through it. Because you think, you know, it started out as we're going to make a sketch show every night. Right. Which I know you guys understand what I'm saying. And so it was all this crazy, ambitious stuff every day. and It was unbelievably... Ambitious. I mean, everyone who watched it was like, it was just packed with comedy. Which is why we were there late every night. Right. You know, and it was just, it was just, we were, we, and, and, you know, every day we just kept our heads down thinking we're going to get canceled. And that went on for, right. God, it went on for a year probably, you know, longer maybe. How did you handle, were you worried, stressing on your own behalf or was it more reacting to how Conan was reacting to what was going on? Does that make sense? Well, I always felt my job was kind of to try to protect him as best I could, you know? Right. So you were the one reading the reviews. Well, yeah. Well, I think he, he <laughs> my, I think he read some early on. I think it's how he learned not to read anything about himself. And, mm-hmm. Right. I, I, you'd have to ask him. I think that's probably what happened. But um, it wasn't protecting him from the reviews as much as just like trying to keep him, you know, on the reservation and not lose his mind. Right. 
you know, the pressure of getting canceled every day Ugh. and the rumors and just trying to get the work done and trying to keep the trains running. You know, I, I, I just felt it was my job to try to look if, if we if I can't protect them, then there's no way it's going to work ever. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Got to keep telling him he's killing. <laughs> yeah. Eh, he was killing during the test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's, it's not just telling how great he is. It's more like just not letting certain people influence it too much. Yeah, get too much in his head. Yeah, right. yeah. And, 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 and also not overwhelm him with work, even though that's hard to do, protect him from. He tends to go towards the, the fire as opposed to avoid yeah. it. But, <laughs> as I do, as I do. But yeah. we became sort of friends and got closer and he started to trust me that I was trying to help him out and right. everything work. And I think, well, it's 27, 28 years later, so I think it kind of worked. Yeah. It was just, and by the way, it was, you know, everybody goes, oh, how could you, you're always thinking you're getting canceled. Oh my God, it's so, right. our thing was just keep your head down and ignore the network. Just say yes and ignore them because they were in LA and we were in New York. Right. And that made it easier because they weren't there all the time. Were they bugging you every day or like just giving notes nobody asked for? Like how? There was a thing that I don't think we've talked about in many, many years where they had a research company called the Maggot Group. No, I've never heard of this. I think that's what they were called. We'll look it up and make sure I have it right, but I'm pretty sure it's called the Maggot Group. And they were based out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had them write up notes or a, they're like a management consulting kind of corporate thing, but do media things like news operations or... Uh. And so I would get these things and you would read them. And I, I would bet you I have them somewhere in my office. Wow. They're like, not enough animals. But it's, it's like that kind of thing, you know, like <laughs> what he's wearing, what his hair looks like, what the, you know, and that's the stuff where you can get your arms around. They're yeah. saying, they're saying crazy shit. Like, I can't remember, but it was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. That's what the networks, that's what, that's what they're relying on. You know, it's, so there was that. And then the thing that turned it around it's never one thing, but we were working really hard and I thought we were making, I thought we were start, starting to figure it out. And Tom Shales, who basically I think in his first review said Conan should probably die or something <laughs> like that. Like that. It was, I, I, I literally, I think if you, I think if, if we found the review, it was something like that bad. It was not kind. <laughs> like a year later, a year and a half later, a year and a half later, he was, he was a tough cookie. Yeah. He's still around. He wrote this like love letter. Like I was wrong. Yeah. Remember that? Wow. Yes. I was wrong. It was unbelievable. And, I'm this and, I'm that. and then all of a sudden, I'm not saying that changed everything. I, I think back then the power of, of TV, he was like the most important TV critic in the country. Like Frank Rich was to Broadway. Exactly. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, you would know better than me, but yeah, no, he was, he was, he was, a, he was a Washington post guy. Right. And, um, and he just wrote this love letter and, and like said, I was wrong. I didn't give it a chance. Right. To, Made him a chance to figure it out. Yeah, when does that ever happen? Conan should live. <laughs> he, gave, he gave him his, his uh, reprieve from the, <laughs> from the from chamber. Gallows. But that's kind of when it turned around, and I'm sure that had plenty to do with it. We always ask our guests to give advice, showbiz advice, and lessons you've learned or, or advice you've got for people who want to pursue a career in showbiz. Do you have any ad advice that comes to mind? Work hard. Yeah. Keep your head down. Okay. <laughs> don't listen to people that you don't want to listen to and just humor them and say, yep, I got it. And then do what you think is the right thing to do. I love that. That's it. I'll leave you with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Just say yes as you're planning to not do the thing. Correct. And smi- <laughs> with, a, with a smile. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> as you're shaking your head, no. <laughs> All right, great. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Anytime. This was actually fun. I was dreading it, and I, but it was fun. To quote Conan, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. <laughs> ah, nice one. And that was our executive producer, Jeff Ross. We've got a fan question. Ooh. Oh, my God. They've been pouring in. <laughs> like sands through the hourglass. Yes. <laughs> There's a voicemail. Hey, guys. I just listened to the Robert Smigel interview, the second one, and it's <laughs> very interesting. Any interview he does is almost always pretty fascinating. He's one of the great comedy writers of the last you know, generation or the last 30 years, whatever. This is Robert Smigel. Um, <laughs> I just would love to know more about the clutch cargo bits. Uh, he talked about doing Clinton and how the approach he took with Clinton. I'd love to hear more about some of the other characters. He did Bob Dole, um, Bush. He did uh, George Bush, number two. <clears throat> I mean, he did a lot of different characters, and he did um, he did John Kerry, which is hilarious, and Trump. He did Trump, a really funny Trump. I'd love to hear more about how he approached characters, of course, Schwarzenegger and so on. So that's it. Uh, and keep up the good work. We love it. Okay, bye. Thank you for that uh, voicemail. I've never heard George Bush number two is a, is a good title. <laughs> I like that. The sequel. Well, you asked about the clutch cargo, which um, you know briefly is we used to have uh, deal with news items on late night by having a cutout of famous people's faces, and then we'd have an, a performer's lips moving. That's the only thing that would be moving on camera. And Robert Smigel ended up doing most of the voices. And one of the reasons for that is because he was just fantastic at it. He really is great. He would do impressions of people that were great, but then he'd elevate them by making them <laughs> more cartoonish. Right. They weren't straight ahead impressions. Yeah. Because you know what? We Sometimes if he wasn't available, we'd, get, we'd try to get other people to do clutch cargos and they would do very good impressions of people, but Mm -hmm. there was like a spark. It just wasn't, it wouldn't catch fire. And also he has a a stunning smile, which also helped. No, but he, (laughs) he really knew how to make those bits work to the point where if he was not available, if he was like, Oh, he's, you know, in LA or we'd postpone a clutch until he was back. Oh, wow. Cause we just learned selfishly it would do best if he was there well can you go back a step and sure. tell me the or so the origin of the name clutch cargo was a i believe it was a um cartoon effect used in on a kid show in chicago is what i always heard so you know they'd have a photo of someone or or it'd be a cartoon of someone but but it was kind of low-tech animation yeah so the only thing that would move is they'd have an actual human being talking you know with a cutout which looks really creepy because it's a real human's lips it's a little disturbing <laughs> well and, and i feel like we leaned into the creepy factor to really oh yeah yeah show yeah. even more of the mouth and yeah and like you said uh smigel used to use a lot of teeth it was very toothy impressions uh yeah like the, the caller mentioned arnold and that was arnold schwarzenegger became a, a favorite for the writers to write. It became, I, I think Robert loved doing it. And he'd always put a little black piece of felt between his middle teeth to create that Arnold gap, tooth gap. 
Oh, that's great. He would never cement it in too strongly so that halfway through the clutch, the gap would start floating around his mouth, like moving across, yeah. which was, you know, Robert knew that, okay, that's going to get a giant extra laugh, yeah, yeah. which it always did. <laughs> yeah, he was really good about in- including the audience in the sort of production of the bit. So yes, yes. They were in on the joke. Yeah, the audience loved kind of seen behind the curtain. He would literally be in front of the curtain so the audience could see this guy with his chin on a on a little uh, chin rest and somehow <laughs> his mouth was being put on the TV screen over Conan's head. So, but Arnold actually the the way we started Arnold Clutch Cargos was I think it was 2003 maybe. Arnold was going on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno and the rumor was he was going to announce he was running for governor and we were all just like i i remember we we're in the writer's room <laughs> we had just finished taping a show and we literally had a, it's a hanukkah miracle <laughs> it was it was we had a writer sitting down in one of the edit rooms watching the feed of the tonight show because if arnold was going to run for governor we're like this is perfect for a clutch cargo we've got to run upstairs and write a clutch cargo for the next day and we're literally just sitting in my office, waiting, 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 waiting. And then all of a sudden, the writer comes off the elevator. He's like, it's a, it's a go. He's running. And that was it. Ah, and then and then he was elected governor. <laughs> then he was elected governor. As a writer on the show where you're just looking for new stuff, it was literally like, okay, we just found a, a rich vein of oh, silver ore in our of mind. Of ore, yes. And we're like, we, will, we can live off of this, you know, the next five or six years. Give a man an Arnold and he'll eat for a day. <laughs> That's right. Oh, we were talking the other day about, remember Andre uh, Dubachet, one of our writers, was, we were bringing oh, up- Oh, the jingle, oh yeah. <laughs> like his, it was his favorite Arnold line from a clutch cargo. Yes. Which was, because Arnold would always end every clutch talking about Jingle All the Way being the greatest Christmas movie ever made. <laughs> we did a Jingle on the Way bit on the show recently. Which where, was great. Because TBS had cut off the end of it, and people were upset about it. Right. So when one of our writers, Todd Levin, created the ending that people had missed, and basically everyone dies, and then there's a <laughs> right. terrible rap song. <laughs> the rap song's <laughs> The whole thing's fantastic. And that, that got us, uh, that bit was great, and that got us nostalgic about Arnold clutches. What was the quote? I think you've got it. It was, uh, give a man a jingle and he'll jingle for a day. Teach a man to jingle and he'll jingle all the way. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, Sylvia Plath. There's a new great <laughs> American poet. I, I, I can't remember which writer wrote it. It might have been Andrew Weinberg. I'll have to investigate. It was either him or Michael Komen, I think. Yes. One of, the, one of those guys. <laughs> Well, I think we have to end there because you can't heighten from that. Yeah, I think I think we're done talking about cl- clutch cargos for the day. <laughs> but we still have room for I think two more listener questions. We have two more episodes of the season of this year, right? The year that was twenty twenty. Um, so please call us. Uh, our voicemail line is 323-209-5303. But if you want to do it in a more modern fashion, you can choose email. <laughs> Write us at insideconanpod at gmail.com. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We... Yes, yes. What is it? Go ahead. I feel like you have something else to say. Lie. Yes. Is there more? 
you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Jen Samples. Engineered and mixed by Will Becton. Supervising producers are Kevin Bartelt and Aaron Blayart. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.